Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. This show follows the investigation of serial murders and contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion advised. In late December of 2015, LaRue Stein made a call to Discovery Life Insurance, inquiring about a payout due to his aunt, Cecilia Stein. Thank you so much for holding for me, LaRue. Okay. I am waiting in the system to generate a claim number for us. Okay. I'm going to also need your email address. And After Michaela's death, okay. Zach Valentine received 500,000 Rand, okay. or 27,470 U.S. dollars, from her life insurance policy. Cecilia, recognizing this as a potential way to make a lot of fast money, ensured that she was named as Zach's sole beneficiary. Did he have any uh, kids or... Why? He, he, he didn't have kids. And uh, his wife was quite nice, actually. We knew her quite well as well. But a okay. few years ago, they broke into the house. And sadly, she was there and she got murdered as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Amen. The insurance agent then asked LaRue if Zach was his best friend. Well, basically, yes. I've known him since I was basically 12 years old. And we did karate together, we went fishing together, we did everything together. I didn't have a father in my life at all, a big brother. So he was oh. basically the big brother, the father, the everything. He was, I see. And he's the only male role model in my life. So, And I, I just turned 20 the other day. I mean, we did everything together. Amen. That's why we were really close. And that's why he said, if anything happens to him, I must make sure his mom is okay, his cats are okay, his family, everything sorted out. And what's your mom's name? Um, my mom's name is Marinda. Marinda. Yes. And um, my aunt's name, who's, who's known him since he was basically seven years old, Cecilia State. Oh, I see. 
So um, I'll forward it through to the broker. You're more than welcome to contact the broker if you want to deal with it, and you can get a letter of authority from the beneficiary. LaRue tells the insurance agent that the beneficiary is right there with him. She's here in the room, but she's like, she's very devastated. Um, must I give her the phone by any chance? Okay, you can. If she can agree for me to send the requirements through to you, then uh, that will be fine. I, I won't need to send it to the broker. Okay, just give me a second. Sure. Um, see, the agreement for the beneficiary. I don't know about you, but to me, those sound like real tears. They would make sense after all LaRue had been through. That lies or not, he was genuinely distraught. He put Cecilia Stein on the line. Hello? Hi, I'm speaking to um, Cecilia Stein. Uh, Cecilia, please can you confirm your ID for me? Um, okay, it's, uh, what's my ID number? Um, eight zero. Um, um, okay, can you just give me five minutes, please? No problem. Cecilia sobs into the phone for a while and then returns and gives the agent her ID number. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Okay, uh, can you just confirm and verify for me over the phone if it's okay for me to send the requirements to LaRue's email address? Um, yes, yes, he used to work with Zach at Discovery, so okay. um, he knows all his, all his, uh, all his, uh, Okay, no problem. Thank you very much, and I'm very okay. sorry for your loss, eh? Thank you very much, It's eh? a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. The responsibility of claiming this payout was now in the hands of a 20-year-old, LaRue Stein. From School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts, this is Queen Havoc and her murder cult. I'm your host, Kurt Kubitschek. Episode 7, Abhorrent Behavior. This is so good. It's a warm winter day here in Johannesburg. Journalist Yana Marks invited us over to enjoy a traditional South African braai, a gathering outdoors. Yana makes us feel right at home. The flames of the fire lick at the meat on the grill. Several different meats seasoned with paprika, cloves, brown sugar, and honey. The aromas are new but familiar and wonderfully inviting. As we dig into the braai, we discuss possibly heading out to downtown Joburg to one of the biggest sports matches in the country to watch the Springboks play rugby. After lunch, we dive into more details of the case involving Joan and Peter Meyer. This double homicide is the first of what would become known as the appointment murders. It could have been me and you. They were doing regular jobs, showing up for an appointment, and they were killed. The Krugersdorp killings is an umbrella title given to all the murders carried out by Electus Perdeus. But there were two waves. The revenge killings, aimed at Rhea Grunewald, that took place in 2012. And then, the appointment murders. Seven killings that occurred between November of 2015 and June of 2016. These happened in such quick succession that Krugersdorp was once again consumed by fear. Investigative journalist Maritzka Kotzer lived in the area at the time and covered this second wave of homicides. 
you know, it it was scary because you didn't know who the killers were. You know, you think a serial killer, but what does a serial killer look like? It can be anyone around us. Reflecting on the case files, Detective Ben Boyson thought the murder of Joan and Peter Meyer looked like a classic robbery gone wrong. But the seasoned detective kept turning over the facts. I think Cecilia told them that it must be a robbery. But I think at the end of the day, Marina and Zach by themselves decided, no, we're going to get this 10 million rand from his house and then we're going to kill them. Because if you go and rob somebody, you cover your face. By this logic, no masks were necessary for Marinda and Zach. While Cecilia may have forgiven this betrayal of her orders, she had not forgotten it. If Zach Valentine had come back to her with millions of rands instead of a measly 40 or so bucks, she might have let it slide. The plan was to go rob them. And then the robbery became a murder. The fact that Zach killed them angered her even more because that was never part of the plan. Because of this epic failure by Zach, Cecilia shifted her strategy for fattening her and EPD's coffers. To do that, EPD would have to be more loyal than vengeful, more brains and less blood. Zach's life insurance policy was worth 3.5 million rand, roughly 200,000 US dollars. That would go a long way, and thus, they'd all agreed, Zach included, he needed to die. Except, not really. As long as the cops and insurance company never caught on, Zach was worth a lot more dead than alive. All they needed now was a corpse and a foolproof hiding spot. Jared Jackson was a 41-year-old street vendor. Jared and his partner Candace both struggled with addiction. To make money, they sold snacks outside the hospital, the one across the street from Kasana Flats. Here's Detective Ben Boysen. So they befriended Jared um, because he was a homeless guy and who's going to miss him? Only his girlfriend and they were both sleeping on the street. Unfortunately, to Cecilia, Jared was someone the cops, overwhelmed as they were, probably wouldn't spend too much time looking for. Also, he and Zach could easily be mistaken for one another, especially from far away. But there was one person who would never mistake Jared for anyone else. His fiance, Candace Ellison. She sat for an interview broadcast on Jacaranda FM in February of 2022. She reflected a bit on what came before. Growing up in difficult household, getting into drugs to to survive and thinking that was the answer. Every bad, horrible story you hear, uh, I've pretty much lived it. But then she met Jared. Girls are raised to look for their Prince Charming. And it's something that I did constantly trying to find that beautiful moment. And I met Jared and we had beautiful moments. And we also went to hell together, quite literally, on the street. Um, heroin addicts and it was not something I would put my worst enemy through but in 2015 Candace was pregnant and the couple was actively trying to find a path toward a sober healthy life that's when they met Cecilia Stein we met Cecilia and the whole group Zach and Marinda and all of them and at the time I remember thinking well these people are a little bit off but 
they, they seem to really care, they want to help. And it's only afterwards that I realized that we were being groomed. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Throughout the winter of 2015, Cecilia conditioned Jared Jackson and his fiance Candace Ellison, to think that she was someone who really cared about them and wanted to help. Keep in mind, the seasons in South Africa are the opposite of those in the States. First, she hired Jared to sort through her storage room. She said he could take whatever he liked and sell it if he got rid of everything else for her. Later, Cecilia offered the storeroom to Jared and Candace as a place to crash. There was no running water, and at night, they would have to be locked inside the tiny space so that the other residents wouldn't get suspicious. But they needed the help, and the couple was grateful. After all, it was cold outside, and at least they had each other. They were off the streets and in love. Then, one day the following summer, on December 16th, 2015. He walked out the door, looked back and said, just remember, I will always love you. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, just, just go come back just now. Not realizing what a moment, that that would be the last moment. Zach and Cecilia made a point to run into Jared that day. They said they needed his help with something out of town. Cecilia lied and told him Zach was epileptic and unable to drive alone. They appealed to Jared's good nature and asked him to help. She'd been so good to him and Candace, after all. And they could even advance him a hundred rand. Jared, broke and indebted to Cecilia, agreed. That was at 4.30 p.m. By nightfall, Candace got worried. Jared didn't come home, which was totally unlike him. Um, he didn't stray very far. When Jared still wasn't back by morning, Candace knew something was terribly wrong. She tried calling Cecilia, but got no response. 
So she walked over to Cassana Flats. Cecilia came to the door. When she saw Candace standing there, Cecilia's face changed. Suddenly, she was in tears, sobbing while she explained that Zach had been in an accident. He had a seizure while he was driving, and he was now in a coma. Candace fell apart. She assumed Jared must have been in the car with Zach, but Cecilia reassured Candace that Jared had bailed on the trip altogether. I went to Cecilia's house knowing that he'd gone there, and she was like, nope. I never saw him, he never came. Meanwhile, the charred wreckage of a silver BMW was discovered, tucked into the tall grassland off to the side of the road in Petrus Stein, a little over two hours south of Krugersdorp, burned beyond recognition. Officers found no skid marks, no broken glass, no signs of a collision of any kind, but inside, they found a body. He was found in a car with uh, a pipe through the exhaust, and then the police said, okay, he committed suicide. The previous afternoon, Zach drove the BMW, that same car which was due to be repossessed by the bank with Jared there in the passenger seat, LaRue just behind him. It's not hard to imagine them wind ripping through the windows on a South African summer evening. Jared squinting in the dusty light, turning inward as they leave the city limits, the way a long car ride urges reflection. From the back seat, LaRue hands Jared a mango juice he packed for the drive. Jared drinks it down quickly. As the minutes pass, with the setting sun, he can't stay awake. Sleeping pills again. LaRue slowly unravels blue and red twine from a spool. With one quick move, he sits forward and loops the twine around Jared's throat. There in the seat in front of him, Jared struggles. He flails. He kicks the dashboard, fighting for his life. But without air, he can't fight for long. As Jared thrashes, Zach almost loses control. The silver BMW swerves across the lane. In the car behind them, Marinda and John Barnard follow. A few jagged moments pass. Zach's car slows and pulls off to the side of the road. That's their signal. Jared Jackson is dead. They prop his lifeless body up behind the wheel. Zach plants his phone on the passenger seat. Evidence to be found. Next, John and LaRue loop a hose from the car's exhaust pipe and feed it into the front window. They pour paraffin wax on the car and push the BMW through the grass toward the tree line. A match is thrown. The car goes up. It burns bright and hot. A blossom of flames against the dark. As the three men stare at the fire licking the night's air, Jared's body will be of little use to any investigator, or so they hoped. You couldn't even see that it's a human being. It's like, it's like a piece of an animal that was burnt in a felt fire. Now they had a body. Next, it was time to make the real Zach Valentine disappear. When they killed Jared, they brought Zach to this hotel, the Harberg Hotel. So this is the first place where he was hiding. 
The next morning, while Candace searched for Jared, Marinda called the officer who had been investigating the Meyer murders. She contacted him on his private cell phone number. She explained in a quivering voice that Zach died the previous night. He would not be taking his polygraph test later that month. Marinda also requested that her own test be postponed to January 7, 2016, three weeks away. The officer agreed to the rescheduling, but was then quickly consumed by the constant barrage of other pressing cases. After Zach died, and he actually got so much cases that the case went cold. The last entry in that, in that murder was in January 2016, and I took it over in June, July 2016. So from January till that time, nothing happened on that case. By now, Marinda felt she was a pro at evading law enforcement. Lucky for the people of Krugersdorp, Discovery Life Insurance was far more thorough than the police, less overwhelmed and trained to sniff out fraud. That same morning, after successfully shaking the police off their trail, Marinda traveled out of town to the morgue to identify Zach Valentine's dead body. This was the first step in the process of claiming his life insurance policy. She posed as his sister, and she brought along a friend. Remember Cecilia's husband, Dries, the cop? Well, his brother-in-law tagged along and posed as Marinda's husband, a seemingly suspect ruse, but we'll keep going. According to Detective Ben and Colonel Christelle Boysen, the faux couple allegedly made a shady deal with the coroner in charge of Jared Jackson's burned-up body. Even, even the mortuary official yeah. that allowed this identification, they paid it off because we will never accept uh, identification like this to say, this is my brother. There has yeah. to be DNA taken to say, this is my yeah. DNA, this is my brother's DNA. The two seasoned officers told us that typically, the mortuary official must provide a written statement confirming the identity of a body. This process is supposed to be done under oath in the presence of a law enforcement official. She took a statement from them, and then she authored a statement herself using another police officer's signature defrauding it. Now armed with doctored paperwork, Marinda headed straight to the funeral home. She requested they handle the cremation as soon as possible. To do so required written permission from next of kin, in this case, Zach's parents. Thrown by this surprise, Marinda and her fake husband agreed to return the following day with the written permission along with payment. Cecilia, in the meantime, was on damage control, working from the safety of Kasana Flats. She placated a frantic Candace, still searching for her fiancé. She said, I'll help you look. I'll contact the morgue. I will contact the hospitals. Um, and she seemed genuinely upset. She was going to help mm. me look. And then that day, she even, um, obviously, we were still really struggling. She gave me 50 rand. She said, here, go get something to eat. I'll let you know if I hear anything. Unfortunately, the appointment murders would continue to stain Krugersdorp with blood while Discovery Life Insurance stalled on the Zach Valentine payout. The company eventually conducted their own investigation, which included a house call. An in-person interview with the beneficiary. Cecilia had been preparing for this role her entire life. Where's his wife? She died uh, four years ago. Are you ready to fight back against crime? 
Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The insurance investigation conducted by Discovery Life was recorded on video. The assessors wore body cams to preserve evidence, safeguard themselves, and confirm the validity of the claim. In matters of grief and money, emotions run high, and beloved or even estranged relatives may act erratically. The audio we're going to share with you now is pulled from the shaky video of Cecilia's interview with these representatives. It starts as the insurance agents enter Cecilia's apartment. Hello. Okay. There are quite a few things that stand out about this initial impression of Kasana Flats. First and foremost, it's the noise. There is a din that surrounds and penetrates Kasana Flats. There's the swinging of rusted iron and steel, slamming against metal frame doorways. The city bus and cars rush by, not to mention the hospital directly across the street. Sirens racing to and from the ER. It's all a bit maddening. An apt soundtrack to Cecilia's chaotic world. (laughs) Cecilia settles in for the interview. She centers herself on the couch. A bit of a man spread. She looks quite at ease. But the tell for us is that the whole time she has a baseball cap pulled down low. Just over her spectacled eyes. She is in the center of the frame. The assessors sit directly across from Cecilia. The interviewer is the one wearing the body cam, so his voice is often louder than Cecilia's. His colleague is in the room, off camera. He does all the talking and cuts right to the heart of the matter. Cecilia's relationship with Zach. Okay, you know him quite well. I've known him since he was seven years old. Since seven, okay. So, okay, obviously that's why um, you're his beneficiary. I was his beneficiary when he was still married to his wife, so... Um in case you missed that, she says, quote, I was his beneficiary when he was still married to his wife. 
It sounds like she's boasting here, and the interviewer calls her on it. Any specific reason? That just sounds odd, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, he had that before he got married, and, and he never, never changed it. Oh, he never changed it. Yeah. it. Oh, okay. Strange that she felt the need to even mention that fact, right? Of course, they continue to inquire about Michaela. And his wife? Where's his wife? She died uh, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right, and he never got remarried? No. Okay. All right, and did they have any children? No. Cecilia mumbles something about Zach's diabetes and how he didn't want kids because of his condition. The investigator um, presses on. Did something bad happen to his wife or something? Yeah, um, they broke into the house and um, she got killed by him. It's hard to hear, but she explains that Zach's wife died during a home invasion. She also tells him Michaela wasn't supposed to be home that day, which is creepy because if you remember correctly, Michaela died on a Thursday, the day she typically missed work to care for Cecilia. After this strange exchange, the insurance examiner refocuses his line of questioning. Mr. Valentine, do you mind if I just refer to him as Zach? Yes. Um, passed away on the 16th of December last year in Pietrastein in the Free State from a car accident, a car burnt. They go over what all happened on the day Zach died and ask about who Zach was in the eyes of his apparent closest friend. The agent wonders about Zach's likes and dislikes, his relationship to money, and even his mental and physical health. At this point, LaRue had entered the room. He sits, perched on the arm of the couch, almost out of frame on the right side. The insurance examiner asks if Zach ever had trouble with the law. Any um, conflict with the law? With the police? No. Did he have any hassles? No. no. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm usually the one that gets uh, caught by the door doing yeah. stuff I shouldn't be doing. LaRue says, quote, No, I'm usually the one that gets caught by the law doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. Then he tells about how he was shot when someone tried to rob him at gunpoint. Cecilia backs him up saying, yeah, they tried to rob him. LaRue doesn't want to say where he was wounded, but Cecilia is a bully about it. And he got shot. In the bomb. No. Actually. No, it's one. No, it's nuts. It was this small from the nuts. Actually, no, it hit his crossbow. She's poking fun at him. They both know the truth. LaRue accidentally shot himself in the groin while preparing the guns for the Meyer murders. He boasts to the male insurance investigator about how he had defended himself and how he thought the gun the robbers had was a toy. Because get this, his father has tons of big guns. Punched the guy and he went down to the floor. And as he went down, I turned around to walk away because he's down. And he pulled out a gun. I'm used to my father having massive guns, West 44, Magnum. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a massive uh, revolver. LaRue's father is not in the picture and he hasn't been for years. It's like LaRue is living inside a figment of his own imagination. He goes on about this for like a full minute or two. Cecilia continues to laugh, and oddly enough, so does the insurance guy. I guess he's trying to keep some levity in the room. That was funny. Yeah, that was, that was actually bad. <laughs> yeah, don't tell your friends, eh? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> I really just feel for LaRue in this moment, when he sheepishly says, that was actually bad as his response to Cecilia making light of a very serious situation. He's legally an adult at this point, 20 years old, and yet you can hear the child in him, 
the one who was morally abandoned. And this tall tale of his own bravery sounds to me like a desperate cry for help or a way out. The subtext here is a big SOS written in the sand, soon to be swept away by the rolling tide. That tide would arrive a bit later in the form of a man, Detective Ben Boysen. When he was assigned to the case two months after this interview, he would immediately notice the changes made to Zach's insurance policy just before his death. The life insurance agent had questions about this too. The reason why I'm asking about the finances is because this policy was reasonably new. It only started like in November. Zach's policy was purchased in November, just one month before his death. But Cecilia had a defense in her pocket, which was that when Zach left his job at Discovery Life Insurance, he had to start all over purchasing a new policy. That took a while. But it turns out that his account had been delinquent for quite some time. He actually did not um, pay a single premium. Coincidentally, Cecilia made a payment a few days before the fatal accident to bring the account current. The insurance investigator attempts to confirm this payment. Then there was a deposit made, a cash deposit made, to bring the policy into life again. Yes. She explains her way out of this. She mumbles something vague about Zach's medical bills. His bank was closed, she says, so she deposited the money for him. It was like a bouquet of red flags. After some shuffling, the interview changes direction again, moving on to the required paperwork. Before a payout can be made, Discovery Life Insurance needs an official police statement confirming that it is, in fact, Zach beneath the charred remains. Now, Dries enters the picture, literally. In the video, he sits close to his wife on the couch. He's practically on top of her. He's a somewhat large man in a brown t-shirt. The couple explains that they are waiting on a second autopsy and DNA results. They are apparently trying to match DNA with Zach's parents, she says. This is all far from the truth. Then, just as the agent is getting up to go, much like the TV detective Columbo, he says, uh, just one more thing. Okay, there's something I'd like to ask you. Um, this came to my desk about two, three weeks ago. One of his clients logged the complaint against him. This client claims that Zach was running a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme with his clients. They've complained that he took money from them. If that thing was against Zach, it is from Reno. To clarify, she says, if that complaint was on Zach, it's from Rena. Cecilia launches into a rant about someone Zach worked with at Discovery Life who had it out for him. This person falsely accused him of cheating his clients. All these details will come out in the wash once Detective Ben Boysen comes into the arena. So we'll return to this in a bit. Keep in mind, this video was recorded in May of 2016, a full six months after the car was found with Jared's body inside. In the meantime, EPD resorted again to robbery and murder. Candace's reflection, eight years after Jared's murder, is a reminder of just how cold and calculated Cecilia was. I don't think she thought at all about Jared's life. He was not a person. He was a means to an end. I think that is the hardest part of all of this. Even how it's been reported, there's been a lack of his humanity. 
Jared's humanity was lost on EPD, as was that of all the victims. And the majority of the reporting that was done very much focuses on the group and not on who Jared was. By the time journalists started writing about him, it was also being revealed that EPD had murdered 10 other people. So individual victims kind of got lost in the mix. But Candace's interview is a solid example of how EPD was destroying lives. Candace's baby was born two months after her husband's disappearance. At this point, if there was any humanity left, any hope for redemption in the hearts of EPD, Cecilia made sure it was obliterated by their belief in her. What was once a Christian group bent on defeating Satan no longer needed a good reason to kill the innocent. As long as it pleased Cecilia, that was all that mattered. Now, they were living in the play. The one where Cecilia plays an invalid, a bereaved friend, and a secret queen with loyal soldiers. Her reality was now their identity. It's incredible, the show they put on. I mean, Cecilia's monologuing for Candace, forcing tears in front of the woman whose life she just decimated. Miranda's performance at the morgue and the funeral home. The two of them in concert, leading a search party with Zach's parents. They even held a funeral for him that his family and friends attended and pretended to weep. And then, there's this interview that happened while they were actively planning to murder more innocent people. I mean, it's staggering the lengths to which they would go to feel like they belong to something larger than themselves. While the inconsistencies of this insurance fraud would be a sort of linchpin in breaking the case, there would unfortunately be a lot more bloodshed before anyone would set foot in a courtroom. And the citizens of Krugersdorp would continue to be terrorized. It was kind of like an attack on my community, like who the hell is out there killing my people? On the next episode of Queen Havoc. When Kevin was murdered, that was the turning point, the first turning point. People thinking there's a serial murderer on the loose, marching to the police station and they were demanding actions and so forth. Sometimes you you need to watch what you wish for because uh, it can come true. This man comes, he's in tears, and he says to me, Mariska, thank goodness you are here. Now I'm like, how does this man know my name? That's why he was there when, when he was arrested. Queen Havoc and Her Murder Cult is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. Queen Havoc is hosted and created by me, Kurt Kubitschek. Produced and written by Jennifer Takini, Julia Kriskow, and Kurt Kubitschek. Lead producer is Julia Kriskow. Story editor is Zarin Burnett. Senior producer is Amelia Brock. Production manager is Daisy Church. Original music composed by Claire Campbell. Editing, sound design, and scoring by Jesse Neiswanger. Additional editing by Miranda Hawkins. Associate producers are Dashin Moodley and Jermaine Kriher. Additional producing by Ben Melman. Fact-checking by Dennis Webster. Recording engineers are Graham Gibson, Clay Hillenberg, and Josh Hook. Executive producers are Virginia Prescott, L.C. Crowley, Brandon Barr, Jennifer Takini and Kurt Kubitschek. We want to thank all of those 
who so generously welcomed us in South Africa and shared their stories. We're incredibly grateful to you all. We also want to acknowledge how traumatic these events are for the victims and their families. Please respect their privacy. If you or someone you know has been affected by cult behaviors, there are resources available, including Voices for Dignity at ChristineMurray.com. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.